rise and sing, Come thou almighty King. thank you for songs like this that remind us of so many things, but one is that you are one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Lord, we uh, do love and serve and worship a triune God, and we just thank you, Lord, uh, for the, the many attributes that, uh, that you show in our lives each and every day. Lord, I just come before you now, and I ask, as this song, just ask you really in prayer, Lord, guide us, give us power to worship you today. Because that, that power, that desire only comes from your spirit. May that spirit be alive and well within us today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. I want to uh, ask you to uh, fill out one of these blue connection cards. All right. And especially if you're with us maybe for the first or second Sunday, we would love to know who you are, how we can minister to you. Are there any questions you have? And uh, we'll, we'll reach out and answer those. So please fill that out. Put that in the offering plate. Or you can take it to the Connection Center in the lobby as you leave today. And then also, hey, uh, Philip, come on up. Uh, and then we're going to have a, everybody has an opportunity to fill out a uh, prayer request card. And so put those in the offering plate as well. Hey, this is our Director of Missions for Tri-County, Philip Schuford, and he has some important info for you. Good morning. Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm Philip Schuford. I have the privilege of serving as the Director of Missions at the Tri-County Baptist Association. It's a network of 55 Southern Baptist churches in Christian County and Taney County and Stone County. And um, I appreciate the opportunity to share with you that in March of next year, a group of pilgrims from Tri-County Baptist Association churches and other friends will journey to the Holy Land to tour biblical sites and to literally walk where the patriarchs and the prophets and our Savior lived and, and, and ministered and walked. And I want to invite you to come with us. There are brochures describing the trip out in the, uh, uh, in the welcome station in the foyer. And you can also go to Tri-County's website, tcsba.com. Get more information, download the brochure, and you can actually uh, click the link to begin re the registration process. So I've never been to Israel, but I've seen these places in my mind's eye. And through hundreds of sermons and Bible studies, I've made a very poor attempt 
to transport the people in my churches to the lands of the Bible. But my feet have never stood in the promised land. I've been to many beaches, but I've never heard the sound of the waves lapping on the pebbles of the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I've been to many rivers, but never to the Jordan River, where the Lord God stopped the flow of the water so he could fulfill his promise to bring his people into the promised land, and where our Lord heard these blessed words, this is my beloved son. And I've been told by many who have been that the first time you go to Israel, it's like drinking water out of a fire hose. But friends, oh, what water. So the Lord has called you to go. Let's go. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you. Amen. I've walked a day where Jesus walked. If, I, I'm available if you need me. <laughs> I just ruined that song. It's a great song, and I just ruined it for so many of you who love it. I'm sorry. In Joshua, we read these words. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. We all to, I'll say this. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do anything according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for when you make it your promises, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, when the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord, you know he knew the Old Testament scrolls, amen? He knew this. This was banging around in his mind when the Spirit uh, commanded him to say, though, to, 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 to pen those words. And, uh, and still today, this is our command, be strong in the Lord. Let's sing it together. Be strong in the Lord and be of good courage. Your mighty defender is always the same. Mount up with wings as the eagle ascended. Victory is sure when you call on his name. Be strong, be
want to honor you. Uh, as we have in worship just now, we want to continue to honor you with our giving, which is obviously a, an act of worship. And, and Lord, may we give uh, obediently. May we give joyfully, as your word says. And uh, Lord, may you provide every need uh, that this local body of Christ uh, has uh, that we've, we've put on the calendar and put on our plans to try to honor and glorify you and reach people and, and grow the uh, grow the kingdom, and so, Lord, we just pray that we are obedient at this moment. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please worship with us as we ask Daniel and Alyssa to lead us in the choir and orchestra in this great, great song that talks about the powerful name, powerful, powerful name of Jesus. Thank you. 
I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Your name is power Your name is healing Your name is life stronghold shine through the shadows burn like a fire I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression I speak Jesus, your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life, break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a Shout! 
The purpose of a sermon is to instruct the mind, ignite the heart, and invite the will. I think music should do the same. Amen. And praise God for good songs that have words that remind us of, of the truth of Scripture. And many times the truth of Scripture is just sung straight out, and we praise the Lord for that. Speaking of a song, how many of you can remember our God is an awesome God. Kind of telling your age, amen? Rich Mullins wrote that song, and as teenagers and even younger, I guess we cut our teeth singing our God is an awesome God, and he reigns from heaven above. Uh, Rich Mullins also wrote a song called We Are Not As Strong As We Think We Are. And if you're going to engage this particular text up front, you better know that truth. You are not as strong as you think you are. We are frail and yet we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Rich Mullen says in this song, forged on the fires of human passion, choking on the fumes of selfish rage, and with, the, and with these hells and our heavens so few inches apart, we must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. When we're waging the war in spiritual warfare that we introduced last week and which Paul is introducing to us, we need to recognize our weakness. We need to recognize the strength of our Lord. Self-sufficiency in this particular battle is a killer. Paul, right out of the gate, calls us to be broken, humble, dependent people in this war that we are in. So... Let me show you the outline that we're going to follow the next few weeks. So be strong in the Lord, and you know me. It's going to take one sermon to preach that point. All right, number two, put on the full armor of God. That is your second movement in the text. So the paragraph can be divided into three divisions. 6.10 is a command, generally, to be strong in the strength that our God provides and then the next movement is 6, 11 through 13, which is going to be an emphatic call upon us to put on the full armor of God, 
with several reasons why you should, such as the schemes of the devil, right? And then the third movement is 6, 14 through 20, and that's going to be an exhortation together with an explanation of the six pieces of armory or weaponry along with the need to persevere in prayer. This is the final paragraph, and is an incredibly, it's an incredible and fitting conclusion to all the material in Ephesians, but it also serves as a fitting climax to the entire letter. So Paul, remember last week, uses imagery not first of a Roman centurion that he may have been fastened to, right? Get that out of your mind. What he's referring to is the Lord God, Yahweh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at it out of Isaiah 59, 16 through 20, where the Lord Jesus has the shield of faith, righteousness in his character, clothing uh, as a majestic, wonderful warrior who actually vindicates his people and wins the battle. So go back and read that. Uh, in essence, if you're in Christ Jesus, which is the thematic presentation of the entire letter, being in Christ, then you have the armor of God. All right? You just have to put it on in the sense of recognizing. And we're going to get into that part of it before too long. But Paul calls his readers and us to use God's armor to be ready to stand firm, considering the spiritual warfare that surrounds us, and to be devoted in prayer. But today, we just want to focus our attention in the series of 6, 10 through 20, which is stand firm in the full armor of God. We want to focus on what it means to be strong in the Lord. Now there it is again, and you, you folks are happy. Verse 10, finally, right? You're happy about this and our exposition of Ephesians. Now, Paul may not mean what we think he means when he says finally. It may be a biblical warrant not to finish me when you think I ought to finish. It could be. <clears throat> but when Paul gets here, it's in fact introducing, introducing the final ethical section. Remember, the first three chapters deal with the doctrine, indicatives of who we are in Christ. All doctrine, and then chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we get these commands and application of how we live what we actually know in the Lord. So, this section, 6, 10 through 20, is the crowning ethical part. It is the grand finale. And I would ask you, and I ask myself, why does Paul spend so much time on spiritual warfare? And why does he make it the, as it were, final finale or grand finale in his book? Now, that's a good question because Paul wrote 13 epistles. And in those 13 epistles, there's not one chapter dedicated to spiritual warfare like this one is. So I think it's a fair question to say, why does he spend so much time? The other books have illusions. They have metaphors of spiritual warfare, they do, and wartime metaphors, right, metaphors, errs, I'm from Georgia, right, <laughs> metaphors, the fact of the matter is, they're in all of them, but when you get to this one, it is almost an entire chapter, and he devotes special attention, I think the extended treatment is due to the worldview that the Ephesians held. Remember last week we talked about your square, which is your worldview. 
And unfortunately, because of the enlightenment and naturalism, which what, what exists in a naturalistic world, only what you can feel, touch, taste, and see, right? So even good believers like us in church, we often think that if there is anything outside of this closed system, it's just in the right-hand corner, and it's in one little small section of the box where there may be a little bit of supernatural and natural working together. But that's not the way the Bible presents it. The Bible presents that square box, if you want to use that analogy, full of dotted lines on the inside and on the out. And just think about this. the extended treatment was because of the Ephesians. Think about Acts chapter 19. Think about what they were involved with in the occult and different things. Uh, we tend, again, to accept the supernatural, but we tend to compartmentalize it. So biblically, this is not the worldview that, that we actually live in today. Unfortunately, we forget it as believers that there is really a warfare. Remember we talked about those two dangers last week. I won't repeat that. But the the Ephesians were very much aware of the openness of their world system. These people were involved in magic, spirits, principalities, and powers. Ephesus, more than any other city in all of Asia Minor, was a city on fire with the reality of spiritual things. The problem was they funneled all of those beliefs in spiritual things through magic practices and the occult. So when God saved them, amen, Colossians 1, God transferred them, that's the language, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. So the Ephesians were very much aware of spiritual realities. It marked their existence prior to their salvation. And I believe the Ephesians needed the confidence that Jesus in Christ, they actually could stand against all of those powers, all of those principalities, And they could stand firm in spiritual warfare all because of the warrior, the mighty warrior, the Lord Jesus Christ who had overcome. So, could Paul have been dealing with people who were haunted by their past occultic practices? Well, absolutely. He could have been. So, Paul concludes this epistle by appointing them and us to the victory of the resurrection, exaltation, the very strength of Jesus Christ... So we therefore live in the sufficiency of Christ, amen, in a world that is under the sway of the powers of darkness. So the finally would also remind you that you are in a war. Right, church family? Not just finally because we're ending Ephesians while the sermon's about to be over, but the finally here is to remind you that you are in a war. And we need to let this grand finale make the appropriate impact in all of our lives. The preaching of the word is to instruct the mind, ignite the heart, and invite the will. And if there's ever been a time that you've listened to the word, make sure it is today. Okay? Chief's already played. Put your focus on this. Okay? And, and listen to the word. We need to hear this. We do believe wholeheartedly in the living and abiding word of God. We believe in the Holy Spirit and the giver of life. We believe that the word and the spirit work together in the providence of God. So as we come to this finally in the word, we need to remember that God is speaking through his word in the present time. Not by accident, 
But he is speaking intentionally because there's something that we as the people of God need to hear. All right, see it? Finally, I preached a long time on that, didn't I? Be strong, okay? Put your thinking cap on. It's important. Did y'all take English? Well, when I took it in high school, I didn't pay much attention to these things. And when I got in seminary and had to take Greek, I had to go back and learn English. Okay? So, we know that commands can carry a passive voice, an active voice, or a middle voice. It can be any of those three voices that it carries. Well, this is in the passive voice, and it's very important for you to understand this. Why is it important? Because in the passive voice, the subject receives the action. So the you is understood in, in verse 10. Finally, you be strong. But it's not your strength that you're standing in. It's God is acting upon you. It's in the passive voice. So he's not telling you and me that we are strong in and of ourselves. He is telling them that they need something to happen on the inside of them from an outside source. This is something that God does. They need to be strengthened. But it's also in the present tense. What does that mean? This is something that you need in your life that is ongoing. Continuous, continuous action. It has to be that reality. So they've got a fundamental responsibility as well to be strengthened and to have a life, let's say it this way, in the present tense, that is actually marked by or portrayed by strengthening from the Lord. It's also a command. So active, passive voice, present tense, but it's also a command. It implies volition and action on the part of those who are listening. You and me, right? We have to respond to this. Even though the power comes from the external source of the Lord. So the construction is in dunama. I say that to you to help you understand the power of this. We often talk about, well... Dunamis is where we get the word dynamite, and that's true. But don't let that be your focus. It means to be strengthened within. That's why it's in before it in the Greek. So, this construction is used several times in the New Testament. And I think it'd be really important this morning for us to look at other places where it's used so we don't think that this is a power team breaking chains or using their head to break ice cubes for Jesus. Y'all don't remember all that, do you? You should, back in Rich Mullins days. All right, Acts chapter 9. Let me show you how this exact phrase is used in other places in the Word so that we can come to grips with what does it mean to be strong, right? Be strong in the Lord. Acts 9, 22. I like to hear the pages turning. Or scroll your phone. 9.22 says, But Saul increased all the more in strength. There's that word. And confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Notice the phrase. Increased the more in strength. Okay? Romans chapter 4. So there before, we have the picture of a newly converted Saul. Remember, he's just been saved in Acts 9. And he is increasingly being strengthened to proclaim the gospel and to defend who Christ is. 
He was strengthened to do this. And his strength actually increased. Romans 4.20 No unbelief made him waver. Just notice the context of what this says. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. This is Abraham, right? But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was, that God was able to do what he had promised. So here's Abraham increasingly being strengthened in his faith. It was growing, he was growing stronger in his faith as he worked for the Lord. You know this one, or you should. Philippians 4.13. Say it. Yes, 4.13. Please, that's not a grab a verse kind of thing where you proof text when you're ready to jump off of a mountain. I can, don't do that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is the word. See it, 4.13. I can do all things through him who, there's the word, strengthens me. And there, when dunamis is used, it wasn't saying that Paul was capable of leaping buildings in a single bound. Actually, the context is he's willing, he is being content in every situation in life, whether he's up high or down low or in the ground or in a hole or being beaten for the faith. He was strengthened in all of that by the Lord. Now, 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll give you a couple more. Verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, here it is, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men. There's the word. You then, my child, be strengthened. And then on a more personal note, chapter 4 of the same book, 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 17. Here's what Paul says. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. I don't know what y'all think about that, but I could take a big dose of that. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I hope you've heard, as we've read these, the context of when strengthened is used. Here in Ephesians, what strength is he talking about? Well, he's not talking about the strength to break blocks of ice with your forehead. He's not talking about twisting off handcuffs. Paul is talking about spiritual strength that is nothing less than courage, resolution, determination, endurance. Is strength that is found as knowledge increases. It is a strength that is virtually synonymous with spirituality and spiritual growth. This is synonymous with growing in Christ. It manifests itself how? Well, contentment, fortitude. When you know that Jesus is standing by you, you can handle some stuff. That's why Paul is putting that in there, right? So it is spiritual strength that stands against all opposition. Are you listening? Sin. I mean, this is getting down to the rudimentary part of living out the Christian life. Here is, be strong in the Lord. In what phases? Well, what about sin? Anybody got a problem with that one? How about temptation? How about the powers of this world? How about the flesh? How about the devil? Paul is calling us here to a courageous, stalwart kind of faith. That stands under all kinds of opposition. And so he says, be strong. 
He doesn't end there. He says, in the Lord. Do y'all believe that prepositions move the world? Well, they do. Because you're to be strong in the Lord. And that prepositional phrase is communicating the sphere of your existence now in Christ. That's important. Okay? So, you're in union with Christ if you've been transferred out of the darkness into light. If you're saved and you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're a regenerate, bona fide, born again believer, then your position right now is that you are in Christ Jesus right now. It is like Paul is saying, all right, folks, exploit your union in Christ. Tap in to who you are, tap into his strength, tap into his power. So if you are in vital union with Christ, remember this I am the vine and you are the branches. That's a vital union because we get life from the vine, not vice versa. Okay? So, if you're in vital union with him, he's the one who supplies the strength. He's the one who gives the power. So become strong in the Lord which, with all of that entailing what that is. It's not in your flesh. It's not in your own sense of determination. It's not in your own grin and bear at Christianity. It's in the strength and the sphere of Christ alone. That's where it comes from. It is His power that's available because you are in union with Him. And because you are in union with Him, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Temptation, you can stand against that. Courage, resolution, all those things. Being resolute, having fortitude, all of those things are true when you are in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the reoccurring themes that will appear in this passage is the need for divine power. We all need, if you, we need divine power. You couldn't be saved without it, but you also can't live for the Lord without it. So Paul has this guitar that he's strumming about spiritual warfare. And one of those strings he keeps plucking through all Ephesians is spiritual power. Divine power is what we have to have. So divine power is essential for us to accomplish the goal. If we're going to stand in this battle, we must have divine power. So, this is the last part of the sermon, but I'm not saying finally, okay? Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I looked this up just coming in, just before coming in. I, I thought, what does the NLT say? which is a phenomenal, devotional, thought-for-thought uh, -thought translation that you ought to own. Okay, It's not wooden literal, like ESV, New King James, NASB. It's not wooden literal translation. Okay, It's not one that you should stand, I don't feel like, and teach out of. But the NLT is not the Living Bible. Not the Living Bible. New Living Bible. Translation. It's a group of scholars that know the Greek and the Hebrew, and it's a thought for thought. Why, were I telling, why was I telling you all that? Oh, I remember. It actually says, the Lord's mighty power. Instead of the strength of his might, it says the Lord's mighty power. So, what is Paul doing? I mean, doesn't it seem redundant to say the strength of his might? Did y'all know that God was omnipotent? I mean, it seems redundant, but what Paul is actually doing is he's piling on terms to help you grasp 
the strength of the Lord. They're basically synonyms. And he piles them on top of one another. The strength of his might. Uh, think of this. God is omnipotent. So God's strength is his strength. Right? God's might is his might. So Paul is giving us this specific source of the actual strength that you have. And it is in his strength. His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We would call this a dynamic phrase. Why would we call it that? Because it was used before, and Paul is trying to help you pile together thoughts to bring a conclusion about a particular phrase. So that would mean that it should be used in the book of Ephesians before now. And it is. Okay? If it's a dynamic phrase, and Paul is trying to get us to understand, in other words, it's like, it wants to bring together ultimate meaning from something that you can cross-reference here in the Scripture. It's a dynamic phrase. So to do that, we need to find out what that word, that phrase, strength of His might, God's mighty power, what does that actually mean? You need to know this so that you know where the strength comes from, from and what it looks like. Don't you all want that? It's mean yes. It's mean. No, right? Don't you want that? Yes, so... Take your copy of God's Word, Ephesians 1. We're going to preach the whole thing over, starting at verse 1. No, I'm kidding. Let's pick up in verse 18 to see this. All right, watch the reading. Context is important. 118, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That is the exact Greek expression of the strength of his might. Exactly the same one. Okay? His great might. Now, what is the context of him using this for the first time, strength of his might, as you've just read it? It's nothing less than the resurrection power of Christ. Are you all listening? It's nothing less than his ascension and his exaltation and his enthronement. Listen as we read. That he worked in Christ. What is he working in Christ? His strength and his might and his power. What did he do when he worked that power? When he raised him from the dead. And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. That's not good enough, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. What did the, what did the Ephesians need to hear? And you? He put all things under his feet. And he gave Christ to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So that which is the strength or which he brought forth, what that means is he effectively wrought his power when he raised Christ from the dead. It is resurrection power there. When Paul thinks of power, the power of God's might, he thinks of the resurrection. Now, would it have been sufficient if he would have said, I want you to think about creation. God spoke everything, ex nihilo, means there was nothing. 
And God spoke, and bang, you had creation. That's unbelievable. But that's not the focal point here. When, we, when, we look, when we're looking into the strength of his might that you need in this battle, what is the focal point? It is the power of God displayed with the effectual working of raising his son from the dead. That's the power. With this exertion of divine power, our God burst open the power of death. And the power of sin by his resurrection. That's what he did. When we think of the power of God, again, there are many things we can think of. But the focal point from Paul is on the resurrection of Christ. So, if you want to think about power, the power of Almighty God, here it is. The cross stands empty, and so does the tomb. That's the power of God. Empty tomb. Resurrected Lord. He is risen. Jesus burst the most powerful thing known to man on a personal level. Death. That's what he did. God's power is life-giving power. God's power is death. As Hebrews 2, it is the death of death power. It is God's power that brought you out of death into life. That's the power he exerted. That's not all that Paul considers here. In the strength of his might, he's going to put them together. Not just resurrection, but notice that in the middle of verse 20. Check it out. When he raised him from the dead and, it's not over, seated him in the heavenly places. So, here Paul refers to the power of God. You remember the ascension? We don't preach on it enough. But after he had accomplished all these things, he ascended off, to, off the Mount of Olives to the right hand of his Father. So what is he speaking of? He's speaking of ascension, exaltation. Last time I checked in the Word of God, Jesus is seated. That's called enthronement in heaven. Why does Jesus sit down? Do I have to preach that to you out of Hebrews prematurely? Because we are going to preach through Hebrews in the future. But what does the Bible say? After he had purged our sins, he sat down. No priest ever did that before Christ. In other words, he purged our sins. His work is finished. He sat down. But there's also another aspect of him being seated. And that's the, that's the fact that he's at the Father's right hand. He's in a place of honor. He's in a place of power. He's in the place of authority. And he is in the place of victory. So think about this. We have resurrection. We have ascension. We have exaltation. We have enthronement language that Paul is trying to heap on top of that word mighty strength to help you understand being strong in the Lord. So the, did the Ephesians need to hear the next part? Look at it. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is ever named. Not only in this age, but the age to come. Remember their worldview? Did they need to hear that Jesus in his name is above every name? Well, absolutely. So Christ is exalted above demonic forces, spiritual forces, over all the powers of darkness. So Paul could say, take courage, Ephesian believers. Christ is not only among the many powers. Our God rules the many powers. 
Our God is over them. He's the power of all powers, being exalted above everything you could ever imagine in magic, in cultic practices. No matter what it is, he is exalted far above any and every name that is named. Remember, the Ephesians had these amulets. They'd have names on them, and they'd look at these things, and they would call, call out a name so that they may be protected from some kind of demon. Let me just tell you, Jesus' name is above every name that can be mentioned. His name is greater. Um, it's not much different from another group of people who actually believe that you can just cling to St. Christopher's medal and everything will be okay. Or you, if you lose something, you pray to Anthony to get something back. This is the same thing they were doing before Christ. There's only one name that can deliver us. There's only one name that has the power to save. And it's not Christopher, and it's not Anthony. It is Jesus and him alone. So, Jesus Christ has been exalted above every name that can be named. So, Ephesians, you think that you can name something, you can call upon something that can help it rain in its season? This is also something they believed. You think that's the most powerful name? No one can give rain like the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? His name is above every name. You think you can call upon a name to protect you or give you prosperity? There's no other name like the name of Jesus. So, Paul's argument is simple. Listen close. Jesus Christ, as the resurrected, exalted, enthroned Lord, rules over all. Principalities, powers, rulers. And look at this. Again, at the end, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. Notice that end of verse 21. He doesn't want any rock to be unturned. So he says he rules in this age and the age to come. If you grew up in a Baptist church that taught eschatology, like Jesus is just sitting around waiting until the day he can rule, then you didn't learn it right. Are you listening? If you think that he just was kind of just chilling out until one day God brought the consummation of all things, and then because we tend to think that way. He's, he'll be ruling in the end, but folks, he reigns and rules today. He, that's what the text says, and this is true. The age to come has actually invaded the present age. Hallelujah for that. We know at His second coming, He will consummate all things. He will bring fullness to all things. But we as the Ephesians need to hear this. We live between the two times of the already and the not yet. And we rejoice that Christ will reign in the age to come. But our God reigns today. The Lord Jesus Christ is the unrivaled ruler of this present age and the age to come. I didn't make that up. That's what the text says, right? He is the ruler. He is exalted, enthroned above all things, and they're under his feet. What does this mean for the Ephesians? Where the spirits were real. There were real powers. They lived in fear. And Paul was saying, don't live in fear because you have the Lord Jesus Christ and all of those enemies are under his feet. Don't live in fear. The exaltation proclaims that he reigns and that forever. Murray Harris actually said this. The resurrection proclaims that he lives and that forever. The exaltation proclaims that he reigns 
and that forever. What a statement. So the exaltation proclaim, exaltation of Christ, His resurrection, ascension, enthronement, is a demonstration of God's might. I've labored hard. I hope you got this. Do I need to start over? Right? Here's how this comes together. Christ's resurrection, ascension, exaltation, enthronement is the demonstration of the strength of God's might. And this is the focal point of the strength of His might. The fact that the Son of God burst the powers of death. The fact that He ascended into heaven. The fact that the Son of God is seated at the right hand of the Father. The fact that He lives and rules and reigns now and forever. The fact that all things are subject to Him. That is the focal point of the strength of God. What did it mean for them? And what does it mean for you? If you're in union with Jesus Christ, then His resurrection is your victory. Amen? His resurrection is the pronouncement that your sins are forgiven if you're in Jesus Christ. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. They're thrown in the deepest part of the ocean that can never be retrieved. Remember Tori, uh, what's her name? Tin Boone? Corey, whatever her name was, right? God threw your sins in the deepest part of the ocean and stuck up a no fishing sign. Amen? The glory of being forgiven by the Lord. So his resurrection is the pronouncement of forgiveness of sins. How do we know this? He was buried for our sins. He was raised for our justification. So think of this. His exaltation and his reign are our victory. That gives you power to live confidently. Power to stand in the battle. So the resurrection, ascension, exaltation, power of God demonstrated in Jesus Christ is at work. Y'all get it? If you're saved and you're in Christ, the Bible says you are seated at his right hand with him in the heavenly places. That's the confidence we have. Now let's end by concentrating on those three things. His power is demonstrated toward us, in us, and within us. And where do I get that from? You guessed it. Out of the book of Ephesians, right? 119. Look at it. Please stay with me just for a second. We're going to be through. Verse 19 of chapter 1. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Say it. You can't say it if you're not looking at the word. Toward us. That's his power toward us. 119. Surpassing power of his greatness toward us who believe. All right. 316. Flip one page. Verse 16 of chapter 3, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. It is toward us. It is in us. Verse 3, chapter 3, 16, that according to His riches in the inner man. And then verse 20. Now unto Him who is able to do far abundantly more than we could ever ask or think according to the power that works within us, his strength is toward, in, and within us. When Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his strength, of his might, he was telling them, and he is telling us, that your power and your strength with which you are to be strengthened comes through the Father and the Spirit and the Son. And it is toward us, it is in us, and it is within us. It is God's work in us. 
Thank the Lord for it. Just as he raised Christ from the dead, just as he exerted his power to transfer him from earth to his place of exaltation, just as he exerts his power ruling over all things, having all things under subjection, all powers that exist in the Godhead are at work on your behalf, just like they were in the resurrection, ascension, exaltation, and enthronement of Christ. That's good stuff. No matter who you are, that's good preaching. Right? To think of this. In and of ourselves, you are not fit for the battle. And neither am I. We don't have in and of ourselves the necessary power or the strength to engage the enemy in this particular battle. Jesus said this in his upper room discourse. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let that resonate. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you don't have the strength to bear fruit. Apart from me, you can't pray. Apart from me, you can't obey. Apart from me, you can't stand. Now that first thing ought to rock us into reality. When he says be strong, why? Because by ourselves we're not fit. You live and I live in a world and an age where the toxins we breathe in are toxins of self-sufficiency. That's where we live today. We're born into this world with an ethic that says, just pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. Add to that that we're Americans. And what does that mean? Rugged individualism. You know what this equals. If you live like that, you know what it equals? Hard-working spiritual disasters. If you're totally self-sufficient and you have rugged individualism, that's going to issue forth into spiritual disasters. You are not as strong as you think you are. This used to be, uh, when I was growing up, have you ever noticed when you were a kid, if you're 52 like me, you had these kids that their arms were smaller than arms on a clock. But I'm telling you, if you challenged them, they did not want you to say, you look weak. I mean, that little bandy rooster would light into you, right? <laughs> that no one wanted to hear, you are weak. Now, that's not true in our day. That's another sermon. We're not raising men. We're raising effeminate men. Right? That's another sermon. However, it was an interesting thing that they didn't want to be called weak. But I want to remind you of something. That's exactly what you are in the spiritual realm without Christ. Your arms are about the size of the arms on a clock. You don't have the power within yourselves to fight this battle. It's only through Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. When are we weak? It's whenever the battle is raging. When is the battle raging? There's never a time when it's not raging. Are y'all listening? There's not a single solitary minute when the battle is not raging. You can't ever stop long enough to say, I'll just tuck in and put on Saul's armor, and I'll go out on the battlefield, and I'm fit with his armor. No, you are not. David wasn't, and neither will you be. Why? Because David fought only one way, in the strength and power of the Lord. That's it, okay? So, that day doesn't exist when you're fit for battle on your own. If, you're, if you try and fight in your own self-sufficiency, you will be destroyed. 
And all right, let me add this. Be careful not to compartmentalize your life. And how do we do that? Well, I'm very strong in a few areas, preacher. There's just a few of those little areas that I'm weak. Don't fall into that. When it comes to understanding this war and this battle, we are weak when it comes to every area of life. Let me add these in here. Y'all listen, don't sleep on me. Devotion, you're weak. Temptation, you're weak. Service, you're weak. Struggles, you're weak. Listen, church, marriages, you are weak. Relationships, careers, parenting, on every front of life, we are insufficient for the battle on our own. You don't have the strength apart from Christ. I want you to know that in, in this particular battle, there's nothing that are outside the lines. I said this last week. For the enemy, there's nothing sacred. Keep that in your mind. You're in a battle that knows no lines. Your career is not off limits to the evil one. Your marriage is not off limits to the evil one. Your devotions are not so sacred that the enemy's not somewhere around. You better think about this. The battle is always raging. It's always on all fronts. And I'll have you know that we're always weak. In Christ alone, there is power and there is strength to fight. In Christ alone. Please hear God's word at this point. Believe it. Hold fast to it. Remind yourself of it daily. Preach it to yourself. You're connected to the Lord who has inexhaustible power. No amens. Do I need to preach this up? Do y'all know the same God I know? Hello. In Him, you have inexhaustible power to stand. Yes, thank you. In and of myself, I'm weak, but I don't have to live as a spiritual weakling. Because in Christ alone, there is all-sufficient power, all-sufficient strength to engage this particular battle. His resurrection power enables us to fight. His ascension power and exaltation power enable us to stand. And we've been exalted with Jesus Christ over and against the principalities and powers. We share in His victory. Listen, church, we share in His dominion. We're seated at His right hand where He rules and reigns. So I appeal to you today, this is critical, recognize our weakness, but also recognize His strength. In His strength, we seek to be strong. Look, in His strength, we seek to be strong and put on His armor. Please meditate on these truths. Meditate on Ephesians 1, 18 through 22. Meditate on who Christ is. We should pray, Lord, your resurrection power. And through, your, through that power, give me strength. Lord, think about this. I am seated with your Son in the heavenly places. Give me strength. I accompany you in your enthronement. Give me strength to stand. Lord, we are weak without you. We can do nothing apart from you. Give us strength. You are my strength. So strengthen my hands for battle. Make my arms, arms for war. Help me to put on the full armor of God that I may stand. There was another little course that we learned growing up. And it may sound a little cliche but it's true. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. 
Resurrection power. You know what? Fills me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. You're looking at me strange. Y'all know that course? Raise your hand. Shame on you. Jesus be Jesus in me. No longer me but thee. Resurrection power fill me this hour. That's your only chance. That is absolutely your only chance in this battle. There's also another one that we sing around here. I love to hear Zach hit the, hit the tenor line across there. In the power in Jesus' name. What's it called, David? Same power. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Lives in me. We're going to sing that together. Now, this is not the invitation. I want us to worship the King by singing what you've just heard preached from the Word. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And after that's over, then we want to have a hymn of invitation to give you a response. All right, Brother David. Give our ladies and guys the chance to get up here, and we're going to sing. Y'all stand with me. Give our computer just a little bit of chance to reboot. Something went terribly wrong. Does it look like it's rebooting, John? We're almost, we're going to get there. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead has nothing to do with our computer. <laughs> Let's give it just a little bit of time. I want us to all see these words. If we don't, Brother David's going to sing it. Here we go. Amen. <laughs> we have hope. Thanks, John. I know every second feels like an hour. <laughs> right, Amen. Here we go. If you don't sing, we're going to do it 25 times. I can see waters raging at my sound of nations rising up we will not be overtaken we will not be overcome i can walk down this dark and painful road i can 
Praise the Lord. Maybe you would say today, I know nothing of resurrection power. You need to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to repent and believe. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must. That's a command. We must be saved. Hear it. No other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So let's have a hymn of invitation. Let's sing it together. Just a moment of invitation. Let's sing. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place Streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. Where at the cross, at the cross, I surrender. 
You can be seated because y'all are probably tired. Uh, names, Kirk and Beth and Faith. Which one's Faith? Yeah, and Charity. What names? Amen. These are the Brobergs, and they've been visiting our church for quite some time, and I had the pleasure of meeting them and talking to them about their faith and their trust in Christ. And so they're here today to tell you they want to be a part of our church body. And so we welcome them as our newest members. Amen. Into this church body. All right. I know we're going to be blessed by them, and we expect to be a blessing to them. Amen. God is good. Tell me your name again, Miss Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson. Miss Shirley walked up and said, I want to transfer my membership from a city in Missouri uh-huh, to this church. And I said, well, Miss Shirley, don't you want to meet with me first? She said, no, I want to be a member of this church. <laughs> so I know I'm breaking protocol, but hey, she knows Christ. She's trusted the Lord. She's following believer's baptism. And we're going to bow to elders today, right? And we, we're going to take you into this church family. God is so good. Amen. So this is Miss. How long have you been first time here? Second. Second time here. Well, at least we got two looks before she came. Amen. Right? We, we we praise God for that. I'm going to have you go back there, Miss Shirley. Uh, you'll be coming to us by statement of faith, a transfer of letter. Transfer. Okay, from a sister Southern Baptist Church. So Don, you'll know that. I'm going to have you go back there with Don, all of you, and let our folks come by and greet you. Okay. All right. Wave at them, Don, so they'll know you're back there. Yes. That, is that all? So, today is also the sanctity of human life. When we say that, we're certainly talking about how we stand against, 100%, we stand against abortion. Okay? We believe our God gives life. The enemy has come to destroy. But I would also broaden that to tell you we believe in all the sanctity of life. That means... And the government one day down the line thinks euthanasia is okay. We're going to say as Christians, no, it's not okay. God takes life, right? Only God can do that. So we say today to you, please pray for our country. We thank the Lord for the Supreme Court verdict, but that's not over. I just passed it off to the states. Let's pray that God will raise up men and women who love Jesus and love life. Uh, I don't know what the stats are. Something like 65 million abortions. Since 1970. And the very ones who say they're fighting for life are the very ones who take life. Makes no sense to me whatsoever. But that's the enemy's schemes and tactics, right? He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And there are no lines for him. Nothing sacred. All right? Let's keep this in mind. So today, let's end with a prayer. And Josh, would you do that for us? I want you to come on up here. This is a close friend of mine, Josh and Mary Beth. Uh, they got three kids, and they hang out with my daughter and her husband, so I love them. They help them spiritually, right? And so just glad they're visiting with, with us. We've got Trevor, Carver, and Harper, and Mary Beth. Hope you all get to meet them. Josh, so this will be our closing prayer as well. Let's pray. Let's pray together. God, you're so good. God, your word is powerful and it is true and God we thank you for brother Philip and God his stance on your word and God we thank you for so many others who in this church God they God they've grown in your word and God it's evident in their worship God we thank you that we can stand in the power of Jesus Christ 
And we know that it is his power, it's not our own. God, that we can walk out of these doors today and we can face anything that this world brings our way because we are in you. And God, may we recognize that this morning. And God, we thank you, um, God, that you, you brought Jesus from the grave on our behalf. God, when we can't, you know, we couldn't make ourselves alive, you made us alive in Christ. God, may we walk out of these doors this morning standing in that truth. And God, may you bring honor and glory to yourself through our lives. God, we thank you for First Baptist Church Ozark. God, we thank you that, God, this place is here. God, that this people is here. God, it's making a difference in the world. It's making a difference in my own family's life and ministry. And God, I pray that you will empower this body. God, that you will empower their, their leaders. God, to walk in your truth and never sway from it. And God, may you bring the glory to yourself. And God, we look forward to that glorious day when we get to worship before you, before your throne. The same throne that Jesus is seated at this morning. God, we get to worship for eternity before you and with you. And God, we just praise your glorious name this morning. For it's your name I pray.